Hello everyone, I'm Becca, dietitian by trade, mom 24-7, wife from the start, and when there's a few extra hours in the day, you might find me hitting the trails or on horseback. And I'm Kara, a therapist to women, a mom to a boy, an entrepreneur, mountain junkie, and a postpartum runner. And this is Fit for a Queen, a podcast that's devoted to the female athlete wanting to balance the teeter-totter of all the things we desire out of life as women. Performance, health, intellect, and taking time for self, even if we only get one minute out of the day. We're so excited to be bringing you the queens in the athletic world who have done just that. Okay, ladies, take a seat at your thrones, grab your crowns, and welcome to Fit for a Queen. Thanks, queens, for joining us. We have Nancy Hogshead Makar on today, and let me tell you a little bit about her. Um, At the age of 14, she was the only American swimmer to be ranked number one in the world in an international event. And in 1984, she won three gold medals and one silver medal at the Los Angeles Olympics, the most decorated swimmer at the Games. She completed her B.A. in political science and women's studies from Duke University and her law degree from Georgetown University. She's currently a civil rights lawyer, assault survivor herself, a tireless advocate for the promotion, protections, and support of girls in sports and women in sport and founder of Champion Women. Nancy, thanks so much for joining us. Yeah. Oh, thank you for having me on. I appreciate it. Yeah, you have so much information. So first of all, what a time when we are needing an organization like Champion Women. Let us know about Uh, this organization, what it stands for, and why you work so hard to establish it. Sure. Um, Well, um, I, I was doing a lot of work, and I started off my legal career doing legal work for schools, making sure that athletic opportunities were equal between men and women, and there's still a lot to do in that world, and I still have my, my fingers in that world quite a bit. But then <clears throat> um, schools started saying, hey, as long as you're an expert on Title IX, come over here and work on our policies dealing with sexual violence on campus. So there's like a playbook, right, of, mm-hmm. you know, here's who's responsible, and here's who you call, and here's how you get therapy, and here's here's how you can protect the, the student and make sure that this sexual assault doesn't interfere with their academic trajectory. Mm-hmm. Okay. But then I started getting calls from the exact same situation would have happened to the person, um, but there was nothing. I mean, not only was there no playbook, nobody was responsible. No, there was no therapy available. There was no, hey, let's make sure this doesn't interfere with your life. Um, let's make sure that you get help for trauma. And the the people that I thought should be taking responsibility had very different ideas. Mm-hmm. I thought that it should be the national governing bodies like United States Swimming and the AAU and the United States mm-hmm. Olympic Committee. And they did not want liability. Mm-hmm. So uh, we, we've had eight years now of between lawsuits and uh, petitions and, uh, you know, sort of working the political route however I could. You know, a lot of times I went around executive directors who were giving me a stiff arm, and I went up to the board and convinced them, and then the board worked and changed policy. So um, I've been working on this on the issue of sexual abuse when it comes to club and Olympic sport athletes for eight years now. Wow. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah, long time. Yeah. So, you know, when this came out with the, the gymnasts, and then Karen and I a couple of years ago were at a conference where um, – a swimmer was part of the Texas team that ended up um, basically developed that this coach had assaulted 25 different swimmers. 
It just yep. seems like things are kept so silent. Why do you think sport allows for the secrecy to happen? Money. Mm. Money. Of course because, it does, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, yeah, because, um, okay, not only not have to pay for education, okay, not only do they not have to pay for civil liability, which means, like, they're not responsible, not only do they not have to pay for... I mean, I just wanted them to put signs up. Essentially, you know, you go to a swimming pool and it says there's no lifeguard available, even though you can say there's no lifeguard. Right? I wanted them to say, like, hey, parents, you should know that this, this, uh, this organization here is nothing like a school. Mm-hmm. And you really need – it's up to you to take care of your kid. You cannot depend on this organization to do so. Mm-hmm. And, um, and uh, no, they saved a boatload of money by not taking responsibility <clears throat> for sexual abuse. Yeah. That's bad. I think that's but true. a very good point. I listened to a couple of your interviews, and I think looking, you know, listening to that, even my awareness, I'm like, okay, there is no governing body or, like, club sports. I mean, the coach is the ultimate one. And then <laughs> you're right. What, yeah. And, you know, in, in, mm-hmm. in, you know in, in school-based sports, right, the, the coach has got lots of layers on top of them, and they're used to having oversight. They're used to having the athletic director and the general counsel and the president or the headmaster, whoever, in the school that's looking over their shoulder. In club sports, there's nobody. Mm-hmm. It is they're the they're the alpha and omega, and they pretty much can get away with whatever they want to. In addition, and this is what I think is really changing with the Me Too movement, I give enormous credit and props to the gymnasts who have come forward so beautifully and mm-hmm. bravely. And uh, for taking away the stigma of being able to say, me too, mm-hmm. so that women uh, cannot lose stature and status and people don't feel sorry for them and people don't, right? I mean, oh my gosh, I mean, Simone Biles and Allie Reisman and Jordan Weber are about as impressive human beings as they come. And so they, they you know, you, you need to have younger women and, well, women in general, be able to see that and be able to see these role models of other people who... <clears throat> um, who come forward and you can see that they are whole people. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. And, 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 and that, that really gives people the, the ability to, to, you know, keep on speaking. Um, one of my, one of my mentors, uh, Richard Lapchick, who his, he's, uh, probably the premier, um, guy dealing with, Sports and ethics, dealing with race relations, mm-hmm. gender as well, and, and, and other is. But anyway, Richard Lapchick, a long time ago, he said, Nancy, you know, you need to really start talking about the fact that you were raped. Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, I mean, I didn't really want to take away from my own sense as, as an expert, mm-hmm. right? I wanted, to, I wanted to sort of stay in the expert role, yeah. and I didn't want to, he said, no, no, no. You know, for all the reasons, Nancy, why you've told me that you really wanted to have older women who had families and great jobs and who were alive and had wonderful physical lives and who, right, you know, everything that I thought was at risk, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, he said, you know, you are that woman now. I was like, oh, yeah, I guess I'm, (laughs) I'm, you know, 50 years old. I can do that now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You can prevail. Yeah. Well, thank you for doing that. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. <laughs> well, the, you mentioned the gymnasts. It seemed to have taken them to come forward to share their stories, to get 
um, the ball moving a bit towards change. Can you give us a little update of what happened since then? I'm wondering if there has been an increase in athletes coming forward in general or what policies have been going on since um, the case has ended. Those gymnasts changed the world. Mm -hmm. They really did. I've been working on this for eight years, and as soon as they started coming forward, uh, the Congress really got involved. Senator Feinstein, Senator Blumenthal, Senator Moran, head of the Commerce Committee that that is uh, that oversees the United States Olympic Committee, really got involved. They passed a statute mm -hmm. that um, gives the USOC and the national governing bodies and the U.S. Center for Safe Sport a legal duty to take care of athletes. Mm -hmm. So they they know they can't use that legal defense anymore. It is the defense that they. The, that USA Gymnastics is using right now with regard to the gymnast saying, it's not our fault. It's, it, we don't owe you a legal duty. Even if everything that you say is true, we, you know, we, we, we weren't required to intervene on your behalf. We weren't required to protect you. That's just not our job. That's the police's job. It's the parents' job. It's the club's job, blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and, and so because of the statute moving forward from after the gymnast, then they, they just won't be able to say that anymore. And that's it is the their job. Statute that passed in February. February 14th, yep. 2018. Mm -hmm. okay. Yes, it did. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. Can you give us a little bit more information if people don't know what else that statute says? So they oh, are. Oh, sure. Yeah. yeah. Give us a little bit. Uh -huh, yeah. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. So the, probably the, the, the most important thing is uh, the thing that probably people already thought that, that most, that the Olympic movement already had responsibility for taking care of its athletes. But no, they did not. And um, so, uh, so that is probably the, one of the biggest things. The second thing is, is that it makes everybody within the Olympic movement a mandatory reporter. In the past, people have thought like, oh, I'll get in trouble if I report or I don't want to make waves or I don't want to ruin this relationship and I don't really know that something happened. I'm just, you know, maybe, maybe something happened, but I don't really know that something happened. So they, um, the, the, um, the, the statute takes that away just like it does for pediatricians or for teachers or lots of other folks. They are mandatory reporters. If you have a reasonable suspicion that you've got to report within 24 hours, mm -hmm. so that and so, so that's a big deal. Yeah. Then third is um, it, it, the things that, frankly, the U.S. Olympic Committee could have passed some rules on their own. They didn't need Congress to be able to do this, but right. uh, that they made it so that uh, an adult who has power over an athlete cannot be alone with them unless it's an emergency. So they always have to be an observable and interruptible distance. Okay. Um, it also extended the statute of limitations to be able to sue the perpetrator, the, the, the coach or the other person that committed the sexual abuse. Um, uh, so it's 10 years instead of normally it's, you know, two or three. And then, uh, uh, and then there, there's a presumption of $150,000 worth of damages. Okay. So a lot of a lot of victims don't want to open up their medical records to their perpetrator for in, as part of a lawsuit, and so there's just a presumption of 150,000. Now they can go for more, but they have to be willing to open up their their records. And then probably the most important thing is it authorized this new United States Center for Safe Sport, the U.S. Center for Safe Sport. It's located in Denver. In theory, it's supposed to be autonomous, and it is the entity that is charged with taking complaints doing an investigation, holding a hearing, and coming up with findings, and then either banning or suspending or 
you know, saying nothing happened as a, mm-hmm. as a result of this, right? But they are the ones that are supposed to do that, right? So when you have a separate entity, you get a couple things. You get independence, but you also get expertise. So you get people who really know what it is that they're doing. That's good. Um, <clears throat> yeah. So I, I could cut, you know, it does a, a couple of other things, but uh, but I think those are those are the big ones that most people need to know. Yeah. Yeah. And it is kind of blow my mind a little bit that some of these things weren't in place <laughs> this whole time, that it took, like yeah, you said, an act of Congress to get some of yeah. some of this protection. But you know, you know I, I think that one of the most important things that needs to happen is, particularly in my sport and swimming, is a cultural change where people recognize mm-hmm. that coaches shall not have romantic and sexual relationships with the athletes they coach, Amen. regardless of how <laughs> old they are. I don't care if they're 10 or 30, 10. <laughs> I don't care. Yeah. Uh, it doesn't matter if they consent or not. Consent mm-hmm. is not an issue the same way. It's not an issue if somebody's a counselor or if somebody's a lawyer or doctor or, or if somebody is a, is a, is a religious leader or, or um, is a prison guard, or, right, in all these other areas, we say very bright line rules. And this is another area where there should be a bright line rule. And I don't really see that the U.S. Center for Safe Sport is doing a lot to change that norm. It's the norm. You, right. in, in all sports, you see a lot of marriages. Mm-hmm. And Absolutely. a lot of times those Coach marriages are very short-lived. Mm-hmm. 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 So, uh, oh, go ahead. Sorry. No, no, I was just, I was just going to say, you know, um, it, it is, it is a, it is part of the culture that it's important rather than just saying like, hey, here's what the rules are. Also, it's to change the culture so that a ten-year-old's flag goes up and to recognize this is a, a big deal at the very first sign, right? That they mm-hmm. don't see that this is an appropriate place for, you know, that they don't think that they're headed off to the altar when they're twelve years old and get kids. <laughs> right, right, right. You know, at that same yeah. conference, one of the things that was it was sad, that, but it was eye opening is they brought up like the um, oh, what would be your amateur United States Swimming Association. And they showed like all of the club coaches that had had accusations or charges against them. And they were recommending like if your child is in the sport to go to their organization and see if anything had been brought up against them. And it was one, I thought that was horrific that we needed to do that. But two, you know, got with thinking as a parent or as a coach or the athlete themselves or even athletic trainers, how can they help make sport a safer place for the athlete or even the athlete themselves? Like you said, that 10 year old. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, you know, uh, um, you know, I have young kids as well. So I'm very much in this conversation myself. Mm-hmm. And I think the most important thing is is boundary training, is teaching kids, like, when the red flag's supposed to go up is not good touch, bad touch. The red flag goes up when um, they, when they're alone with them for the mm-hmm. first time, when they close the door, mm-hmm. when they uh, give them a gift, when they text them individually. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, they should always either include the parents or the rest of the team. Yeah. When they friend them on social media, any social media, uh, when they, right, all those boundary things that, that make abuse possible, that, right, that worm their right. way. I mean, I mean, already coaches and athletes can spend easy 40 hours a week together, mm-hmm. much more so than any, uh, religious leader or doctor or teacher. They spend a ton of, and a lot of times it's traveling and it's really downtime. 
And so that's why it's even more important to police those boundaries. Mm-hmm. They're spending a lot of time together. Yeah. Oh, yeah. A lot. And yeah. even in our Parks and Rec, um, so I've coached my daughter's team, and last year was the first time that they did a background check on myself. And it started uh-huh. because um, on one of the boys' teams, they knew that the assistant coach had um, a felony against them. And luckily it had nothing to do with children, but it was kind of like, how on earth is he able to coach these, you know, third and fourth grade rec leagues? And lo and behold, they weren't doing any background checks on any of the coaches. And then because of the parental uproar, they started the next year doing that. So I'm sure that's the norm mostly. And yeah. And, 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 and I'll, I'll, let me, let me just flag something you said is that, you know, you had a criminal didn't have anything to do with um, with uh, abusing children. There are other other issues involving criminal background checks that still should preclude somebody from being able to coach children. Right, um, <laughs> If they if they have a, any domestic violence, mm-hmm. no, they need to not be involved in addressing with in dealing with kids. Or two is if they've got guns or weapons charges, mm-hmm. then they need to not be involved in coaching children. Yeah, so, you know, you know, just because it wasn't, they weren't particularly molesting children, uh, you know, they, you, they they can still be very dangerous for your child to be around. Sure. Mm-hmm. Wouldn't want my daughter with them. No. <laughs> yeah. Especially, again, yeah. if a parent knew that. But, 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 yeah, but here's the scary thing. You said no really, really quickly. Yeah. And I have to recognize this as a parent as well, is that your kids are probably not going to tell you. Mm. Mm-hmm. However close you think that you are to your children, Ugh. they are probably not going to tell you. It makes me sick to There's been this whole movement about having young women or telling their fathers for the first time. They're so, you know, they, they want their, they, they sort of protect their, they know it would be so painful for yeah. their parent to hear that they, that they, well, there's lots of reasons why children don't tell, but, mm-hmm. um, but, um, um, you know, that, um, you know, you, you, your 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 safety mechanism is not what your child is going to report to you. Like your duty, your your the importance of you looking after who your child is around is much more like right. You can't allow that to be the only alarm bell. Right, right. Yeah, mm-hmm. like you said, it's you know just the culture of the sport and the secrecy and so much shame that comes from that that um, um, keeps the trauma secret in general for. For kiddos. Mm -hmm. Well, what are you looking at next? What are some of the big goals that you're working on now that the statute has passed? Well, um, I've been working (laughs) with this other statute called Title IX for the past, for all my professional career. (laughs) And we're still educating on that one. So Mm -hmm. I I don't think this is going to be over in a short amount of time. There's still a lot of, of, of work to be able to do. Um, My next big, uh, so so a couple of things is uh, the U.S. Center for Safe Sport needs to assure that it has the independence that it was designed to have. So mm-hmm. right now it doesn't. It has too many ties with the U.S. Olympic Committee. Mm-hmm. Uh, so a lot of the employees came directly from the USOC over to the U.S. Center for Safe Sport. And in one in particular, her name is Malia Arrington. Malia was responsible for a lot of the bad policies and a lot of the bad things that the United States Olympic Committee was doing. Mm-hmm. And then she goes over to start the U.S. the U.S. Center for Safe Sport. They've now, uh, between the time that they were first considering the U.S. Center for Safe Sport, uh, was back in like 2013. They started it in March of 2017, 
has now been open for about a year and a half. And I just keep hearing mistake after mistake after mistake that they're making. And you would think with all this time that they've had, that they would have worked out the kinks. Mm -hmm. And there are other organizations that are already doing this work, right? So schools with Title IX offices have already been doing this work. You know, they have the money to be able to hire some of the best people. But when you look at their at what, what their board meetings, what they were really focused on, wasn't sort of ironing out the kinks. It was like, how do we raise money? How do we promote this? How do we, um, uh, you know, sort of, you know, how do we, how do we uh, have the entity thrive instead of um, how do we come up with the best training materials that right. protect mm-hmm. children? Mm-hmm. How do we, pro- I mean, had you, if you were not doing the story with me on the U.S. Center for Safe Sport, would you have ever heard of the entity? No. <laughs> and I'm right. not even they're, a, a, they're in college not on, not on any social media. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I don't know how most families would find out how to make a complaint. Right. What to do. Mm-hmm. Do you? How, yeah, how would they We're going to put it up there for you now. <laughs> uh, thank you. Yeah, if you're going to put up one thing, we have a one-pager that I hope everybody looks at, which sets out the rules and sets out the boundary violations and oh, who to call God. and what to do. All in one page. You sent that to me. I am going to put that out there and available for um, to, to get that out there because it is helpful. Thank sure. you. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And, and, and then the, the next step, I think, is to take this internationally. That when I was just over in, I was just in, um, uh, in Amsterdam at The Hague, where uh, I was at um, a strategy session on remedies at the, sport, at the, at the Center for Sport and Human Rights mm-hmm. and looking at athletes as having human rights mm-hmm. and having the Olympic Committee, the, the International Olympic Committee, as being guarantors of the athlete's rights Mm -hmm. so that the athlete in the United States, this is where they go. But other countries, mm, it's not, you know, they're back where the United States was eight years ago. There's virtually nobody. Yeah. Yeah. So they're saying, you're saying there's more work to be done. (laughs) Oh, my God. Yeah. 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 But it's all really interesting stuff. And it's all, this is a great opportunity. And if you can, I, I, I can't even imagine the, the the life that you are giving the next generation if they are free from sexual abuse and sexual mm-hmm. violence. Oh my gosh! Mm-hmm. I mean, it is it would it would just be this tremendous gift that all of us that this movement, this Me Too movement, that the gymnasts and there were you know, hundreds of male soccer players in Europe that all came forward at the same time. They were part of the professional leagues and all the women who've come forward in the gymnastics or excuse me in the uh, uh, um, cases at um, uh, from uh, obstetricians out in California to the men who are in Ohio State who were mm-hmm. abused by their doctor. Mm-hmm. That what a gift to be able to give people to have this lose its shame the same way that breast cancer has really lost its shame mm-hmm. of people being able to talk to about about it and. Um, to, to not have it be so omnipresent, to have one in four women and one in seven men, it's just it just can't be that we can accept those numbers. Right. Absolutely not. Yeah. Well, um, you're such a great resource, and I do. I love following your social media and Facebook. You post articles. You call out people that need to be called out, and um, it's a great place to um, find out what you're what you're doing and then what Champion Women is doing. So I appreciate that so much. And um, at the end of each interview, we ask every guest how they live out the fit philosophy 
fit philosophy themselves. <laughs> so being so busy, how do you balance your own performance, health, intellect, and taking time for self? Balance. Yeah, the whole mind-body thing is a thing. <laughs> yeah, it is a thing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and um, my, my secret weapon is that I like exercise, mm-hmm. and I really feel sorry for people that don't. Um, but I, I, I like it, and it makes me feel good, and I like feeling good. Do you still swim? Um, I don't. Mm-hmm. I run, bike, and do yoga. Mm-hmm. So it, those three things, I can almost always find a place to do them. If it's really hot, I can do um, bike. I, if I, you know, if I miss a class at yoga, I can just put my tennis on and go for a run. You know, so. Um, and but you know, I'm just like everybody else. I've got three kids; they're all at home. And um, you know, my my husband also he's a judge; mm-hmm. he's an appellate court judge, so he's traveling all around the state. Mm-hmm. And you know, you just you, you got to make it work. Yeah. But 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 I tell you what doesn't work is pretending like your body's not important or your own spirituality is not right. important, mm-hmm. um, or your your sense of connection with your friends. My BFF is getting married soon, mm. and um, you know, really taking time to to enjoy that time. So you know, pretending that you don't that you're not human that mm-hmm. you don't you don't live in a body <laughs> that needs TLC. Yeah. So that's how I do it. Yeah. Well, Nancy, again, thanks so much for being on and being such a great advocate for the athletes out there. We appreciate the information. You are most welcome. Thank you so much for the interview. <laughs> you guys are, have been great. All right. Aww. Thanks so much. And you have a great day. Yeah. Bye, Nancy. And you too. Take uh-huh. care. Bye, Nancy. Okay. Bye, okay. Queen. Bye. Thank you to our sponsor today, Sentimano Counseling. Sentimano Counseling is the premier perinatal mental health practice in Kansas City, treating mood disorders during pregnancy and postpartum, perinatal loss, infertility, eating, and exercise disorders. Go to Sentimano.com for further information about the practice and services. For additional information on today's topic and guests, follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Fit for a Queen. And Hashtag fit for a queen. And don't forget to rate us on iTunes. We can't wait for you to join us next time on Fit for a Queen. Bye, queens.